Take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to Luke chapter 15. We're going to continue in our series, uh, Restore. Uh, we've been celebrating and thinking about uh, where we've been as a church, where we're going, or where we are, and where we're going. Our vision here at First Church is restoring God's ideal. I love the history of uh, First Church, the history of the Church of God. Uh, we are a part of a larger movement of churches that was birthed back in the late 1800s following the Civil War, and specifically us here at First Church here in this, uh, our region here, 115 plus years ago, there was a small group of German-speaking immigrants that came from Eastern Europe that had settled in this area, and they began to meet and began to dream about what a church in this area uh, would look like. And so they became a part of the church of God uh, then at that point. And this church that we were part of, First Church, was born, uh, again, almost 100 or 115 plus uh, years ago. One of the cool things that, uh, that is unique to the church of God, if you study Christendom, you study kind of the, the, the heritage of the church of God, is something uh, that a lot of church groups were very uh, segregated, but the church of God, from its beginning, had a rich diversity that was just baked into the DNA, uh, again, way back at the very beginning in the late 1800s. Of the, of the Church of God movement. And as we think about February, and February is Black History Month, we thought it'd be fun as we celebrate kind of where we are, where we're going, and uh, where, we, uh, where we've been, and where we're going, that it'd be great to just share some of the great leaders of uh, our church family uh, through the years. And so uh, I wanted us to talk about, and I just want to share the legacy of Dr. Uh, James Earl Massey. He was born in 1930. Um, was uh, went on to be with the Lord in uh, uh, 2018. Uh, Dr. Uh, Massey was an extraordinary communicator, uh, a wonderful, uh, rich uh, communicator. He had a, a variety of things that he did in his career that spanned roles like pastor and author and theologian and professor and even musician. I love the title that we have on this slide. He was the, a prince. He was he described as a prince of preachers. He left an indelible mark on the Christian community and especially the Church of God in, in training up young pastors, uh, young Church of God pastors and preachers. Some of the uh, variety of posts, ministry posts that he had over the years, he was a senior pastor of the, uh, just a, a wonderful historic uh, church in the, called the Metropolitan Church of God in Detroit, uh, Michigan. He was a missionary educator in Jamaica and was the Dean Emeritus of the Anderson School of Theology, which is the Church of God uh, Seminary. He impacted pulpits and classrooms, and he engaged with over 100 colleges all over the world, universities, seminaries worldwide. Uh, he contributed, he, he authored 18 different books, was, uh, provided editorial leadership in prominent publications like Christianity Today. Uh, again, all those things just solidified his legacy. Dr. Timothy George Dean of the Beeson School of Divinity said this about Dr. Massey. He just praised him for his unwavering faithfulness to his calling and his embodiment of essential virtues such as decency and humility and spirituality. His life reflected his message, the message that he proclaimed, exemplifying the burdensome joy of heralding the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's a part of our history. He's a part of the legacy of the church of God. I remember when I was a young pastor sitting in a 
in a, in a conference where they were teaching uh, pastors about preaching. And, and there was Dr. Massey sitting on the stage with these prominent, uh, uh, you know, great theologians and preachers all across different denominations. And I was so proud that there we were represented with Dr. Massey. And that was the circles that he ran in. And I'm proud that he is a part of the history of the church of God. He lived a life of restoring God's ideal. That's our vision. Restoring God's ideal. Pastor Jaime last week helped us to get started in that and uh, helping us to understand the foundation of what we do and why we do it, who, where we've been and where we're going. And so let me read this passage that Pastor Jaime last week, uh, just starting out, laying the foundation of our vision of restoring God's ideal, is found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, this idea. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And in that passage in Genesis, we have what is the, the place where we get the idea or the, 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 the germination of the, this, this vision that we have of restoring God's ideal. Because you have, you have Adam in the garden with God, and they are in relationship. This is before sin had entered, and, and there they are in the Garden of Eden, and it's just this perfect relationship. And, and then later Eve would come into that garden, and they would be, Adam and Eve would be in perfect relationship, and then both of them in relationship with God. And it wasn't until sin entered that things changed. But before that, how does God describe that, that time? It says in verse 31, and it was very good. It was very good until sin entered. And sin entered in that relationship that Adam and Eve had with God was shattered. The relationship with Adam and Eve had with each other was shattered. Do you remember the interaction that Adam and Eve had when they were bickering back and forth? Well, she told me to eat, and well, the serpent told me. And so we see that brokenness even in, in the relationships with, between Adam and Eve. Again, sin destroys. We've all experienced that. And into that, uh, this is the, the world we live in now, and into that, we have been called as a church to be ones that restore God's ideal. Going back to that time, thinking back to that time when God described it as very good. We want to be about, until the time God calls us home, to be a church that helps to restore his ideal. To be on mission, helping to restore God's ideal. That ideal back in the garden where people were in relationship with God and people were in relationship with each other, and it was very good. So until Christ returns... That's our mission. That's our vision here. And in Scripture, to further kind of articulate that and understand that and to, and to learn about what that looks like practically for us, there's a great story we find in Luke chapter 15, the first few verses. Let me read it for us. As we think about God's heart for people and God's heart for us working together to restore his ideal, Luke 15 verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. And they're talking about Christ. They're drawing near to Christ. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man, talking about Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. And so he told this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." So in this story from the life of Christ, again, that has something to teach us, I think, today about restoring God's ideal. Well, who was the audience? Who was, who was, who was there when, uh, when, when we, as we look at this passage? It says that 
he talks about tax collectors that, that were coming to Jesus. Jesus eating with these people. The tax collectors were people that everybody hated. Tax collectors were the, were the ones that had empowered, been empowered by the Roman oppressors, the foreigners that had taken over their land, their home, and, and all these rules, and now they have to pay taxes. And it was these people that collected those taxes and sent them back to Rome. But Rome was okay with as long as you sent their share, if you kept some extra for yourself that you collected, that was all good. And so tax collectors were hated. You have tax collectors and sinners Sinners were those people, basically, that weren't keeping, weren't keeping the law, weren't keeping the Jewish faith. They had their own agenda, doing their own thing. And it was those people, the, the people that were hated, the tax collectors, the sinners that, that Jesus was eating with, that Jesus was hanging out with. But notice who else was there. You had the scribes and you had the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees were this ruling class, this religious ruling class. They were the ones that wanted to make sure that you kept the rules and they had a lot of rules about keeping the rules. They had a, this zeal for making sure that everyone kept the rules. Actually, it was their particular version of the rules. But as they tried to make sure that everyone was keeping the rules, they had lost something. They had lost something about what it looks like to love God and that God loves them. And the, that how that God wants us as we are loved by God to love other people. And they had, they had lost that in their zeal for rule keeping. And notice that verse 2 says, says that, that those religious people were grumbling that Jesus was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. That Jesus was, Jesus was sharing meals with them. That Jesus was interacting with them. Jesus was building bridges to them. And Jesus, into that setting of what was going on and these, these religious people that were grumbling, he tells this story to help correct the attitude of the grumbling religious people. Because he wanted to teach them about God's heart. He wanted to remind them of God's heart. And it's good for us because it's, you know, vision has a tendency to leak, if we, as we've talked about, and, and, and to, to remind ourselves of God's vision for people and, and the vision that we should have for people and how we should think about people and how we should love and care for people. Because the same thing can happen in our world as what's happening in their world. As religious people, we can kind of forget the heart of God. We have people that identify themselves as followers of Christ, and they they think that it's all about rule keeping and they want to make sure that people keep the rules. But in their, their drive to make sure that people keep the rules, you can see this simmering disdain for people as they share that. We see on social media people that are self-proclaimed Jesus followers that are more concerned about winning arguments than sharing the truth and the, communicating the, the love of God and the good news of the gospel. Church groups that you get that sense that they really literally would rather people go to hell than, than to find the love and the grace of God. Forgiveness that God wants to extend to them. People who have identified uh, some short list of sins that are in their mind worse than other sins that they want to forget about because they actually practice those sins. But it's these other sins that are the really important ones that they have listed. And again, into that world, into our world Jesus wants to remind us in this mixed audience of people that need Christ, the, the sinners and the tax collectors that, that Christ wants to interact with, and other folks, the religious folks, that he wants to, to help us to be reminded of what really matters to God, about God's heart for people. 
about how he wants to to recalibrate our heart to align with his heart. And so he tells a series of three stories. And these stories help to remind us of God's heart. Again, and so as bonus material, maybe before or after the Super Bowl, uh, you could read these other two stories from Luke 15 as bonus, uh, kind of a bonus assignment for today. What does Jesus, what is Jesus, what's the story that he tells? He tells the story of a shepherd that has 100 sheep and one of those sheep wanders away and, and gets lost. And, and the shepherd leaves the 99 in the open country and he goes after the one that was lost. And notice in verse 4 what his commitment to finding that sheep is. His commitment, he says, that he will look until he finds it. It reminds us of the relentless pursuit of God of those that have wandered away. That he doesn't want to give up. And that's the heart of God, not wanting to give up. I love the picture that's painted in the scripture of when he finds the sheep that's wandered away, what does the shepherd do? The shepherd picks up the sheep and with joy puts it on his shoulders and then goes back home to the fold, bringing the lost sheep home. I remember... When uh, we lived in Ohio, we had this dog named Pretzel. I've talked a little bit about Pretzel. And the boys were small in those years. And, and Pretzel was Houdini dog. He was, always, he was great at escaping. And so he would escape from our home. He's a little, little um, Jack Russell Terrier. And he would escape and he'd run off. And, and so uh, the boys really couldn't run after him. And so I would be tasked with going and finding the dog. And so, you know, scouring the neighborhood, trying to find this dog that just was so, it was so horrible living with a corpse that he would run away. And, 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 and I would go after him trying to find him and I would search for him in the far country uh, and look and look and look. And the thing that motivated me was, was those two little boys that were heartbroken that their dog had ran away. And then to finally find Pretzel. Pretzel, the, the, this, this, you know, trying not to have disdain for pretzel, um, uh, you know, but, but grabbing pretzel and pretzel, I could hold him with one arm. And so to, to carry, and, and he wouldn't come even after you found him, you had to carry him back. And so to carry him back and to see the face of two little boys when I got home, it reminds me of the heart of God. When that one person that's wandered away, that one person that comes home, that's the heart of God. The heart of God that rejoices. And we see that in the story that the, when the shepherd comes home and he, he calls for, for people to come and, and his friends to come in verse 6 and let's have a party because the lost sheep has been found. And, and what does verse 7 say? The reminder that this is what heaven does when one sinner, the one that is lost, when that one comes home, there's rejoicing in heaven. From time to time, it's good for us to go back and read this chapter, to be reminded of the heart of God, to be reminded of what heaven rejoices over, to be reminded of a church, what it's all about, to be reminded of God's heart for that one sheep, to be reminded of some key principles that are really easy for us to forget as we tend to get a little self-absorbed in life, just the way it is. And so to be reminded as we think about where we've been and who we are and where we're going as a church and our, our vision of restoring his ideal, to be reminded of God's heart so we can be about the, the mission and the vision that God has for us. And so there's some principles that I just want to pull out of this story to remind us as we are thinking about restoring God's ideal. And the first thing is that we need, need to make sure, this principle, that we guard against grumbling. 
What were they doing, the, the, the religious people, in those first verses? Why, what's the reason that he tells the story to begin with? Because the religious people were grumbling that Jesus had a concern for the lost. That Jesus was having dinner with the sinners and the tax collectors. They were grumbling that he was not spending more time with the 99, but he, was, he had this, this heart, this focus on the one that had wandered. And as we think about, again, where we've been and where we are and where we're going, you know, for 30 plus years, I've been a pastor and I think back to my time in Ohio and there was this one individual in the church and, and she was just this constant parade in my office, just reminding me of how important it is to, to, to focus on the 99. She never wanted to, to go after those that were far from God. Her idea was if we just focus on the church folks that are already here, if we just focus on them and, and all of our ministry energies focus there that, that, yeah, there'll be people that will come and, and there'll be people that will come to Christ, but, but that'll happen as a result of us, this other focus. We don't need to spend any time or energy going after them. We just need to, to, to be content that they'll come in time. And that's a great theory, although I just don't see it in Scripture. What does Jesus remind us of? the heart of God. When we thought about, thought about starting a campus uh, in Stevensville, I remember great Jesus-loving people that came to my office, and they just didn't get it. They didn't understand why we would do that. And, um, and we have a tendency to just want to think about ourselves and to think about over the last how many years that we've done ministry across the other side of the bridge and Occasionally, in, those, in the intervening years, had people that are like, you know what? The enough resources have gone over there. We didn't focus here. That idea. And what does, what does Scripture remind us of? The heart of God is that we must have a, have a heart for what God has a heart for. And so when we, we look at, at what we're doing in our, in our strategy for ministry here, it's that, that we want to go after the one. We want to build bridges. We want to, to, to use tools like ministry centers and, and laundry hubs and new campuses and even lobby additions that we want to put off this room. We want to use those, yeah, absolutely, to, to help do ministry to the 99, absolutely, 100%, but also as tools to help reach that one that's far away. And to be excited about what excites the heart of God. To see life changed. And so we have to guard against grumbling because life can be self-absorbed. We can kind of get that way. And so we have to be reminded again of God's heart. Another thing that I think we see in chapter 15 here, a principle of restoration as we restore God's ideal together to reflect God's compassion for the one. And we see that in this chapter. God's compassion, and not just his compassion for the one that, 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 we, that we are like, the one that we love, not just friends and families and coworkers that are far from God, and we absolutely need to have a, have a heart and have compassion for them as Jesus does, but also what about those people that, that might be a little different than us, that might have some differences politically, to have a heart for them, that might have to be different socioeconomically, they might be different racially. They might have different ideas about marriage or sexuality. Do, are, are we, do, we have, do we reflect God's compassion for the one? Luke 19 reminds us of the mission that God sent Jesus on. 
In Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And that's our mission. That's the mission. The mission, the same thing that Jesus came to do is what we have been called to do. To help people come to know this life-changing, transformative good news of Jesus Christ. To restore the relationship they have with God. And then as, as we help to disciple them and as they grow in what it means to follow Jesus, then naturally some of the things that are going to happen are those broken relationships with each other. That they're going to be, that there's the potential that those can be mended and fixed as well. And how many of you, as a result of the principles and the truth from God's word, maybe your marriage has been restored. Maybe a relationship that you had with a child or a parent has been restored or a coworker. As you have applied those principles and you've loved them well, that God has interacted and God has restored. That's the mission of us, the mission of First Church. And that's what I think we uniquely have an opportunity. Again, we're thinking about who we are and where we're going, that we across four very different campuses, we have the opportunity to show this community and to show this region something different. Yes, we're different, and we have different, uh, different the, the campuses are different, but to come together in a culture that wants to divide, that we can show this world in all of these differences that we are one under the banner of Christ. And when we apply the principles of Scripture and the truth of God's Word, when we apply it into relationships that we can find unity and we can resist the pull of the world to separate us, we can show them something different. We can show them a picture of what will one day be as the, the revelator John writes in this vision that God gives him of heaven in Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 through 12 of all that future uh, picture of all the tribes and all the nations and all the skin colors coming together, brothers and sisters in Christ coming together under one banner celebrating Jesus at the throne. That's the picture of the future, and it's what we are working towards now as we restore God's ideal. There's one really fun one, too, a restoration principle that we see here in, in Luke 15, and that's to accept God's invitation to celebrate. Think back to that story. When, when the shepherd finds the sheep, puts it on the shoulders, and, 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 and what? What's the attitude? Was, is the attitude, he's, he's upset, he's like kicking the sheep, and he's mad that he had to spend all this time and all this energy. We'd love to be back with the 99 of the sheepfold and just hanging out and, and taking it easy instead of in looking out in the far country for the sheep. That's not the attitude. What's the attitude? There's joy that this lost sheep is found. And that's what we have the, the privilege of being invited into, the, the joy, the rejoicing, the celebration, the party. If you look at those three stories in, in Luke 15, at each point when the lost thing is found, there's rejoicing and joy and parties, celebrations. And that's what we get to do together. When we come together, and I, I love the the annual baptismal service, and we want to do baptisms all through the year, but, but there's that big one that we do together. All the campuses come together, and we celebrate 30, 40, 50, 60 plus this year. People baptized, we celebrate as heaven is rejoicing over one sinner who repents and comes home. And so, as heaven is rejoicing, we're rejoicing with heaven. And so, to be reminded of these principles so that we can be a church that is filled with joy, because there's people coming to Christ and there's lives being transformed. We're, we're about the Father's business. And so there's joy in that to accept God's invitation to celebrate. Our annual testimony service in November when we 
just tell stories about how God's been at work. Again, an opportunity for us to celebrate what God's up to. Don't miss the invitation to find joy in the restorative work that we're doing together here at First Church. There's another scripture that informs us as we kind of conclude and move from the land of talk to the land of do. We always want to make some application. And so what, what is, it's really important to remember this as well as we move into some application. Matthew chapter 28, one of the last things that Jesus says to his disciples, he reminds them in Matthew 28, it says, and he came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so when we go out and when we go into the, far country and we go and we try to reach people for Christ. What are we doing? Not just, we don't, not just helping people make a decision, but we are making disciples. And so we do that together. And so we are all, as if you're a follower of Christ, then, then you need to becoming more and more conformed to the image of Christ. You are being discipled. We are making disciples. That's who we are as we restore God's ideal, restoring people and helping them become more and more like Jesus. And so that, that sheep that comes into the fold brand new, They're becoming more and more like Jesus. And so we together are doing that, restoring God's ideal together. So here's some application for us as we conclude today. The first is this, this application as we think about restoration. First, all of us, if we are a follower of Jesus, need to identify and pray for our one. All of us have people in our lives that God has given us the privilege to have have a level of influence with. And so who maybe is that person or persons in your life that that God has uniquely equipped you to be able to reach for Christ? Who is that? That one or maybe a group of ones that God could use you and we could work together to to help them find the restoration of their relationship with God and the restoration of their their relationships with, with people in their lives. Who are those people? How can you pray for opportunities to Share the difference Christ has made in your life. Maybe pray and look for opportunities to maybe share a book with them that has the truth of the gospel. Or maybe some podcasts where they could uh, come, uh, come and interact with the good news of the gospel. Maybe extend an invitation to sit beside you at a, at a church service where they could hear this wonderful good news of the gospel and how much God loves them and the grace that God wants to extend to them. Again, to think about how we could partner together as people of First Church to work together to reach those that are far from him. Another principle that I would encourage you to apply would be to embrace the first church way of both and. We're a church of both and. We don't want to be just a church that focuses on those that are far from God. We don't want to be just a church that focuses on discipling the found. We want to be a church that walks and chews gum at the same time so we can reach those people that are far from God and then we can disciple the found. We can do that. We can be a both-and church. And that both-and vision extends to being a church that can, can do ministry on both sides of a bridge. To be a church that extends ministry and, 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 and has, a, has an eye for old adults, older adults, and Young people and children, we can be a church that does both, both and. We can be a church that is committed to, uh, to, to having just awesome, wonderful ministry within the walls of the church and also an eye to do what Jesus told us to do in Matthew chapter 6 when he says to let your light shine before men that they see your good deeds. 
and they praise your Father in heaven. And so we can be a both and church that we're concerned about what happens inside the walls and we're excited about how we work together to reach those outside the walls. Both and extends to this ability to be able to appreciate our rich 115 plus year heritage while not holding so firmly to the forms of past generations that we can't, because we have this eye to reach that next one for Christ, that we can't loosen our grip of preference on the forms as long as we hold tight to the truth of the gospel that never changes. So 1950 is never coming back. And so we can hold loosely this idea of how to do ministry in 1950 because it's 2024, and how is God asking us to do ministry to reach people here? And so it's both and. Both and. It's a strategy that allows us to reach a broad swath of our region in multiple communities for Christ. It's the first church way. And then the final thing, as you think about application for what we're talking about today as we think about where we've been and where we're going or where we are and where we're going as a church as we restore God's ideal together an application discover your role in the work of compassionate restoration discover your role in in this work of compassionate restoration and I called it compassionate restoration because I think of this story and I think of what this story illustrates that that the shepherd comes and finds the sheep He's not yelling at the sheep, not arguing at the sheep, but he, 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 he brings the sheep he, with joy, puts it on his shoulders. That's compassionate restoration. And walks the sheep, takes the sheep lovingly back home. And that's who we want to be here at First Church. Compassionate restoration. Loving people enough, no matter where they are, no matter what their background is, no matter what's going on in their world, that everyone, everyone, everyone is welcome here as they walk in, but then also as they come into the space that we will love them enough to share the truth of the good news of the gospel. And we will do that in a joyful, winsome way because we want to engage, again, in this compassionate restoration. I think we see described for us in Luke 15. And so what's your part? What's your part in in linking arms to be a part, discovering your role in that? So maybe it's volunteering in a parking lot so when someone drives in or or standing at the door so when someone comes in, maybe for the first time that that they felt this nudge of the Spirit and they they came because their life has has spiraled out of control and they they came and it it was tough to come because they don't know anybody and they've never been here but your smile and your greeting, and you made them feel welcome. And so we're working together. And we're working together as you volunteer to rock a baby or, or work in a children's ministry. So that, that couple that is on the verge of divorce, maybe the, fi- the papers have already been filed, but yet for some reason they came as one last hope that maybe, maybe, maybe this could be a place where they could find some, some answers that could help to restore what is broken. And because you made a way for them to be able to sit in a service, be able to focus on the truth that's being shared, you helped. You're helping 
make that happen. Or maybe you're running a camera or you're pushing a button or whatever so that somebody that's never heard the gospel that, that wants to come but, but, but can't even get up the nerve to come into a physical place, but they'll go online and check out what's going on here and the truth that, 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 we, that they find on the other side of a screen helps lead them back to a place of connection with God. And on and on and on. Have you discovered your role? Have you discovered your role financially supporting the vision of restoring God's ideal? Have you discovered your role of prayerfully supporting the vision? Have you discovered your role that God, maybe for some of you, he's put you in a place of a position of authority and a position of, of leadership in the community? And, and have you thought about how God might leverage where he has placed you for such a time as this to interact in your world for the good of the gospel? That God could use you where you are. Have you discovered your role? Have you discovered your role? As we work across four different campuses and a nonprofit, supporting others and doing things, so at the end of the day, we can do things where heaven rejoices because lives are transformed and changed. All of us finding our role, restoring his ideal. As our worship team comes back up, we talked about today just this, this thing that sometimes happens, we tend to, sometimes because life can be about us, we can get a little grouchy. <laughs> and so what does maybe God have to say to us about that? About God's heart to reach those far from him. About having a real heart like God has for people. What is God maybe saying to you about his desire to invite you in to using you to reach that one. Who is your one? Have you identified them? And to prayerfully think about how God might use you to reach the one that he's laying on your heart. Who is that? Maybe God's reminding you of the need to care about people that are far from him. And we talked about being engaged and maybe you've not found your role, but you just feel like God is kind of prompting you, reminding you, and, and it's time. And maybe today as we sing this final song, maybe it's something that God could, to speak to you and help you to understand where he might want you to fit in. And I would be remiss if I didn't talk one final group that's here today. And God's brought you here because one more time, he wants to remind you of how much he loves you. And even though you've wandered away and you know what that looks like in your own life, and you know what it looks like to wander away and to live in that far country and to be doing your own thing and to be far from him, and maybe you have at one point, you've experienced very personally the love of Christ, or maybe you never have, but whatever it is, you feel some level of disconnect. And today, the thing that God wanted to remind you of is the picture of the shepherd reaching down and lovingly, joyfully taking a hold of that sheep and putting it on his shoulders and walking you home. God wants to walk you home, to walk you back home where he can love you and care for you into this family. And so today, as I pray, I just want to invite you to ask him to just be your Lord, to be your Savior, to accept the sacrifice that he made on the cross, to allow him to pick you up and to do what you can't do. He carried the sheep home. You can't do it on your own. And allow Christ to bring you home.
Father, as we respond, as we think about this song that we're going to sing, as we apply the truth that we've talked about today, as pray for that person that today I know that your spirit is working on. And God, today that you are just reminding them how much you love them and care for them. And that, that no matter what happened, what the past is, that that cannot separate them from you as you, as they, as they just respond and by faith, just confess those things and just ask you to take you home. God, I thank you that you are doing a work in people's life. You're picking people up and you're bringing them home today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And God, as we that have followed Christ and call you our Lord and our Savior, God, there's some things that we've been reminded of today. And I pray, God, that you would do some work in us. And God, that you would break the change of the selfish and the self-absorbed and the, the things that this culture would, would bind us with and help us, God, to be reminded of the, the purpose of why we're here and why you kept us here. God, restoring your ideal. And we do that as a family and we, church family, we do that as individuals. God, what are you saying to us today? How can we be engaged in what, what you want us to be engaged in? Thank you, Father, for what you've taught us today. In the name of Christ, I pray.